Good morning again. Uh, I want to start this morning with a mental exercise. Uh, and this may be a little bit hard for you who don't have as much imagination. Um, if you have, well, I didn't mean it that way. Uh, although if that was Lynn that laughed, then maybe I did mean it that way. That's fine. Um, okay, so this may be hard for some of you, though, who have a hard time imagining reality different than it is, right? Some of you are very concrete thinkers, but for, for those of you who have a lot of imagination, we're going to imagine a world um, that is, is very different from our own, okay? Um, I want you to imagine a world that is obsessed with sex. Okay, I mean, everywhere you turn, there's scintillating advertisements and there's lewd jokes. Uh, sex is everywhere in this world that we're imagining. Okay? And in this world that we're imagining, the old morals of purity don't apply anymore. Okay, maybe back in grandma's day, people kept it in their marriage, uh, but that's old-fashioned, right? It's time to get with the times. Now the motto is, if it feels good, do it. Okay, nobody should judge what consenting people do. Uh, why should your standards of sexuality apply to me, right? Can you imagine a world like that, anybody? I know that's hard, okay? But imagine that. Okay, also, I want you to imagine in this world that we're imagining uh, that people are obsessed with status and power. And everyone wants you to know by the way that they dress, by the way they carry themselves, by the kind of restaurants they go to, exactly how high they rank in society. And in everyone's mind, they're trying to look better and they're trying to climb up to the next rung on the ladder of success. Everything's about materialism. Everything's about power. Can you imagine a world like that? Again, I know this is difficult for some of you, right? But just try to imagine that. Okay, also imagine uh, in this world that we're imagining that because it has all become about materialism and sexual freedom and people doing whatever they want to, obviously that makes conflict amongst people because what I want may be different than what you want, so now we're naturally going to fight. And so in this society that we're imagining, imagine that lawyers then have all the power uh, because we constantly have to rely on lawyers in order to sue each other in order to try to get our way about stuff. Imagine a world in which there's too many lawyers and lawyers just run rampant and they're the ones making all the money and they're the ones really running everything. Can you imagine a world like that? I know it's difficult, right? Just, just try. All right, how hard is it for us to imagine a world run by sex, money, and lawyers? Yeah, not very hard at all. Why? Because that's the world that we live in. Okay, but hear me very clearly. There's absolutely nothing new under the sun and the world I am describing is actually not our modern world today. The world I am describing is first century Corinth. Okay? It was exactly like that. Many more parallels exist between our time today and the first century church in Corinth that Paul is writing to in 1 Corinthians uh, than the world that we had 100 years ago in the world of 1 Corinthians. Okay? That's just where we are in the world. Now, the world is going to do whatever the world is going to do. Uh, Paul is not really all that concerned about Corinthian society, but what he is concerned about is how are we as the church supposed to act in such a world? Okay, in a world that's run by sex and money and lawyers and all of those things, how are we as the church supposed to respond? Okay, because our temptation is always to look more like the world than it is to look like the kingdom of God. And so Paul sees this going on in the church in Corinth, and here's what he writes. So notice 1 Corinthians 6 starting in verse 1. It says, If any of you has a dispute with another, 
Do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. Again, what we see here going on in this text is the church at Corinth looks more like the world than they do like the church, and Paul says, stop it. Okay, when they were having problems with each other, when they had conflicts, instead of settling it amongst themselves, they lawyered up. Paul says that's how the world acts. That's not how you're supposed to act in the church. If you're looking for justice, why in the world would you go out to the pagans in the world to try to get it? They don't understand real justice anyway. You should be able to handle your own problems internally rather than take them before a corrupted pagan world. Okay, and part of what Paul's saying in this paragraph, we'll unpack this a little bit, is the pagans in the world can't see reality like you do. Okay, they don't see the truth. You all who see the truth, you who recognize that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is in charge of the whole world. This whole world is going somewhere. It's going to be the whole kingdom of God on earth. Okay, you who see that reality are much more competent to judge different disputes than people who are out in the world who just care about sex, money, and power, right? Okay, so here's my first point. If you're taking notes, I've left you space on the front of the bulletin to write this down. Uh, and by the way, all mistakes in the bulletin this week are Titus's. Um, Titus and I printed the bulletin this week since Sonia's out, so just so you know who to blame for any mistakes. But number one on your bulletin, if you're taking notes, as Christians, we take an eternal view of the world. Okay, we don't see the world like everybody else does. As Christians, we have an eternal view of the world. All right, uh, many of you have had small children before. I remember when my boys were babies. One thing about a baby is if a baby drops his pacifier, okay, or if he's hungry, or if he's dirty, or if he's tired, or if he's just bored, or if he can't see his mom for five seconds, what does he do? He cries, right? And the baby can't distinguish between I'm hungry right now and the house is burning down. Right? For the baby, both of those things are life-shattering, the world is going to end if I don't get my needs met kind of realities, right? And you can't tell a baby, or how many of you have ever tried to tell a baby, hey, if you'll just wait five minutes, I'll get to you. How well does that work? Yeah, it doesn't work at all. Why? Because a baby can't think five minutes ahead. A baby thinks about what's going on right now. Okay, now, when your kids get a little older, like the kids that I have right now, I have a five-year-old and a nine-year-old, okay, their brains expand and they can suddenly start to handle about a day, okay? They no longer think in seconds, now they can think in terms of about a day, right? So very commonly in the morning, the kids will ask, well, what are we doing after school today, right? They're not just worried about the moment, they're worried about the full day, right? Or if it's the end of the day, they'll ask, well, what are we doing tomorrow? Okay, now, uh, I tried telling my kids that grandma's coming in a few days, and they're like, grandma's coming tomorrow. No, 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 grandma's coming in a few days, right? But they don't think a few days ahead, right? They're not worried about what's going on Wednesday, okay? They're worried about what's going on about a day. Now, one of the marks of maturity is as we become teenagers, we start to grasp longer sections of time, right? I remember when I was a teenager, um, you could start to handle about a week, 
right? You're not just thinking about your day, you're thinking about your whole week, right? If I had a big project coming up at the end of the week, I'd worry about that. Um, I would have to worry on Monday about what girl I was going to bless with the date on Friday, right? There's, you can handle, in your mind, you can handle about, don't shake your head at me, that's true. Okay, you can handle in your brain about a week. But as a teenager, you're not thinking about months, you're not thinking about years from now, Right? Part of the problem with a lot of the, the teenage drama we get in is we think that, okay, this high school experience I'm in, that's going to be my whole world. Right? They can't yet see, no, you're going to graduate and you're not going to care about any of that anymore, right? Maybe you think about a week. Now, as adults, hopefully, we mature to where we start thinking about months and years. Right? We recognize relationships are long-term. Financially, you can't plan for the week. You've got to plan for months and years. Right? You think about mortgages and retirement and all the fun stuff you deal with as an adult. Right? And your vision expands to take in months and years. I think Paul's point here in 1 Corinthians 6, this opening paragraph, is that as Christians, we have an even longer vision. We're not just thinking about months and years. We are those who know that Jesus is Lord and he will be Lord for all of eternity. Okay? We have a view that expands the entire cosmos. We understand that at some point we will be judging angels. Okay? I don't know exactly what Paul means by that, okay, but I do believe that at some point you and I will be reigning with Jesus as Lord alongside each other as brothers and sisters in an eternal kingdom. Hey, if you and I will be reigning alongside each other, then we have disputes now. We need to learn how to settle them internally rather than take them before a pagan world that can't see all that. Okay? I think that's where Paul's main point is going. By being kingdom people, we are a people with an eternal perspective, and that changes everything. All right, notice the next verse in this, verse 7 and 8. He says, The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Okay, here's number two. Okay, as Christians, we should look different than the world. Okay, we're not supposed to look like the world around us. You know, for the longest time, uh, if you asked Sam... Sam, what do you want to be when you grow up? Okay, he would tell you he wanted to be a policeman, right? He wanted to go out and fight bad guys. That was his top priority in life. And so just a few days ago, uh, Rachel asked him again just to see if it had stayed the same. Sam, what do you want to be when you grow up? Okay, and my son, my five-year-old, he said, I want to be a preacher just like daddy. Right? That was my first reaction too, okay? Then my second reaction was, son, don't give up yet, okay? There's still time. You can make something of yourself, right? Okay, but when I look at my sons, right, when I think about what I want for them, when I think about what I want their future to look like, okay, if I'm being honest, most of my dreams for them look exactly the same as the dreams of parents who don't know Jesus. Okay? My hopes and wishes for my children look the same as the pagans in the world hopes and dreams for their kids. Okay, what I mean by that is I want my kids to be financially stable. Right? I want them to be respectable. I want them to be happy. Okay, I want my sons to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Right? 
Okay, and insofar as that goes, all of that is fine. It is not wrong. Okay, but if one of them said that they wanted to move to the third world and be a missionary, I don't know how I'd feel about that. Okay, if your child came to you and said that they were moving to Saudi Arabia because they felt that God was calling them to work with Muslim refugees, how many of you would celebrate that? How would you feel? You know, do I really... <clears throat> Do I really care more about getting my kids into a good church or getting them into a good college? With my kids, would I be more upset with them over a financial failure or a moral one? Right? Am I honestly raising my kids to have different values than the world does or do I want them to be as comfortable as possible? You see where I'm going with all this? See, Paul sees that the Corinthians are acting just like the world around them, and the reason they, work, they look just like the world is because they are chasing the same things that the world is chasing. And I think all too often what we do in church is we have all the same goals as all the world around us does, and so then our lives look just like the world because if we're all chasing the same things, we're all going to look alike. Okay? Your goal will determine who you are. If my goal is really to pursue things of the kingdom of God, it will make me look different than the world around me. But all too often, what I want is exactly what the pagans in the world want, and then I look at my life and wonder why it's not any different than theirs. Are we truly putting God's kingdom first? And I think if we are, it will make us look different from the world. Does that make sense? All right, here's number three. Also, as Christians, we will set an example for the world. Not only will we look different from the world, but we will set an example from the world. I remember once when I was a little kid, I was probably about seven years old, uh, meaning my little sister would have been about five years old. Any of you have little sisters? Okay, so you can sympathize with the story I'm about to tell. Uh, my little sister needed lots of correction uh, from her older brother when we were growing up. Okay. Um, I never did anything wrong towards her, but she regularly aggravated me, and I had to put her in the place that she needed to be. She is the woman she is today because of all the guidance I gave her as we were growing up together. Okay. So this particular story, I'm probably seven, she's about five, and for whatever reason, my mother decided to take us to a baby shower at church. Now, uh, my little sister and I fought all the time, but this time when we did it, we did it in front of all the ladies at church. And I don't remember what she did to start it, but we really got into it with each other. Okay? And we were fighting, we were fighting, we were fighting. I specifically remember one older lady from the church going up to my mom and going, Oh, I thought your kids knew how to behave themselves. I've never seen them act like this before. Okay? And I remember the look my mother gave me. I remember the conversation we had in the car on the way home. I remember the discipline my mother gave me when we got home. I remember the discipline my father gave me then when he got home. Now, my sister and I fought all the time. So what was different about it that day? Okay. Well, that day we were doing it in public in front of God and everybody. Right? Before when we were fighting, we were just doing it at home where just mom and dad could see it. But now we were doing it in a way that made the whole family look bad. See where I'm going? Okay, what does it look like when in the church we can't get along with each other and the world is looking at us? All right, this point comes up a lot in Scripture, but Paul himself will talk about this, you know, in several of his letters. 
Okay, but when you and I go out into the world, our actions don't just reflect upon us. They reflect upon Jesus. There's a lot of people in this world who will never open up a Bible, but they know who Jesus is, they know who the church is, and their entire view of what Jesus and the church are is based on what they see in us as we go out and live in the world. They're not going to read a Bible, but they'll read us. We reflect by our actions upon Jesus. I think that should be a sobering thought. You know, as Paul says, rather than take a brother or sister to court, we should prefer to be wrong. We should prefer to be cheated. Why? Because it's better to be cheated than to allow the church to reflect poorly on the reputation of Jesus. We set an example to the world. You know, we've talked before um, about, you know how other churches in our area have the bumper stickers you put on the back of the car and everyone knows where you go to church? Okay, we've talked about what would it look like in our church if we had some bumper stickers. Again, there's a few of you already smiling and nodding at me because you know I don't need one of those on my car, right? Okay, yeah, you know who you are, right? Um, Because then your driving reflects upon the church that you go to, okay? Okay, what if you had to wear your blue GCC shirt, the ones that a lot of us wore last week, you know, like our, would have our logo on and everyone knows where you go? What would it look like in your life if you had to wear that everywhere you went, right? If everybody knew that your actions in that shirt reflected on the whole church, would it change the way you act? You know, it, would it change the way you talk to a waiter at a restaurant or the guy that cuts in front of you in the grocery store? Would it change anything? What about if when you called customer service for the cable company, if you had to start with, I'm a Christian, would it change the way you talk to the guy on the other end of the line? Some of you are going, yes, yes it would. Yeah. We are called to set an example for the world. Okay, we need to live up to that. Fair enough? All right, final part of this text. Notice starting in verse 9. He says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All right, here's number four. And finally, um, as Christians, we remember what we were in the world. As Christians, we remember what we were like before we were washed, before we were sanctified in the name of Jesus. Paul's final point in this passage, he says, because we are Christians, we've put our old lives behind us. Okay, we used to be enslaved to all of the same passions that we see running rampant around us. But because of Jesus, we've been freed from all of that. And if we've really been freed from all of that, if we've really been washed by the blood of the Lamb, okay, then we're in the process of leaving all of that behind. Okay, so we can either choose to live like Jesus or we can live like the world. A few days ago, I was taking Sam to school, his kindergarten class, and on the way to school, he said, Dad, let's play Would You Rather. I said, okay. He goes, Dad, um, would you rather, I don't even remember the first question. It was something mundane, right? Like it was, would you rather have a blue car or a red car? I said, okay, son, I think I'd rather have a red car. And then my turn. All right, son, would you rather be a Power Ranger or a Jedi? He goes, I'd rather be a Jedi. Okay, so again, you know I'm raising him right. Okay. 
And then he says to me, he goes, Dad, would you rather be bitten by a rattlesnake or stung by a thousand hornets? I thought, well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to play this game anymore, son. Okay, at the end of our text this morning, Paul is giving us an even bigger would you rather. He's saying you've really got a choice. There's an either or choice. Would you rather live as if Jesus is Lord or would you rather be enslaved to all of these things that you used to be enslaved to? Would you rather embrace the freedom that is in Jesus or would you rather embrace the bondage that is the world? Would you rather act like the church or would you rather act like the world? It's really very simple. Either Jesus is Lord or he isn't. If he is Lord, it demands my soul, my life, and my all. If he isn't, then none of this matters anyways. Fair enough? We need to choose to live as if Jesus is Lord. All right, at this time in our service, we are going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. Uh, during the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. Uh, this is a time in our service where we as the church want to be here for you. If you have a prayer request or need, if there's something that we as the church can do for you, we want to do that during this next song. Um, before we sing that song, though, I'd like to close this with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Let's stand and sing.